Chapter Three of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter Three. Set to Work. Here was an embarrassment unexpected. Miss Mason stepped into the little square box of a hall to avoid the curious gaze of the passers-by and questioned, "My dear girl, what is the matter?" "Don't you know?" asked the Curtis girl, brushing away the great drops from her eyes. "I thought maybe you had heard, and that was why you came. Oh, Miss Mason, the baby is dead." Then the tears burst forth afresh. How sorry was Miss Mason! She forgot to be embarrassed. It is true that she had not so much as known that there had been a baby in this household, but there was one at home, a laughing, cooing baby. Oh, what if he were dead! Her heart thrilled with pain over the bare possibility, but the thought put exceeding tenderness and sympathy into her voice. "Poor dear child," she said, "how sorry I am for you." The Curtis girl felt the sympathy. She had not been to Sabbath school a great deal. She had felt no special interest in it. Miss Mason had possessed no fascination for her. She had just happened to go, but Miss Mason, after this one tenderly spoken sentence, would be something to her. Would you like to see him? She asked. You can't think how sweet he looks. And not waiting for the answer, which was well, for assuredly it would have been a hurried negative. Miss Mason was wont to shrink away from every evidence of death. She led the way into a pitiful little front room with green paper curtains at the windows and wooden seated chairs standing in rows on the rag carpeted floor. And in the center of the room, on a white covered table, a beautiful baby lay sleeping. Oh, how beautiful! The exclamation was involuntary. The waxen-faced sleeper was so very lovely. That Miss Mason said it without waiting to think what she would say. Isn't he? And the heart of the Curtis girl went out to her entirely. Oh, Miss Mason, I can't tell you what a sweet dear baby he was. Just beginning to talk, he called me Daddy. He couldn't say Delia, you know. And some way his little tongue made that name out of it, and I loved to hear him say it so much. Oh dear, just to think I will never hear it again. She was crying again. She could not keep back the tears. Miss Mason had literally nothing to say. A dim idea that something in the way of consolation or improvement ought to be said stole uncomfortably through her mind, but she didn't know how to do anything of this kind. It was such a new and strange experience to her. She was strangely moved. The beautiful baby asleep before her must have been just about the age of that little brother at home. She even fancied that she traced a resemblance between them, and some way she couldn't keep back her own tears. Delia saw them chase each other down her teacher's cheeks, and the reason for the old injunction "Weep with them that weep" was made apparent in the quick throb of grateful affection which she felt in her heart for Miss Mason. Their tears had fallen together over the sleeping baby; neither would ever forget it. I wanted some flowers to put in his hand," the sister said, speaking with quivering lips. "He loved flowers, but I couldn't get any. There are no flowers around here. You shall have them, my dear. Quantities of them," Miss Mason answered quickly. 
I will see to that. What a pitiful thing it seemed to her that there were actually those who could not get flowers to put about their dead. I didn't know that the baby was sick, she added. Has he been sick long? For three weeks, Delia explained. That was why she had not been to Sabbath school. Whereupon Miss Mason, for the first time, recalled the fact that the Curtis girl had been absent for several weeks. A little more talk they had, which developed to the startled teacher several things. For instance, she asked who the pastor was, and Delia, with flushing cheeks, confessed that they had no pastor. Father and mother did not go to church, and they didn't know any church people. They had not lived in this city so very long, and she didn't know what they would do for a minister. I thought of the one who belongs to our Sunday school, she said doubtfully, looking into Miss Mason's face with a wistful air. But perhaps he couldn't come? He has such a large church, and so much to do, and we live a long way off. He will come, of course, Miss Mason said quickly. I will, and then she hesitated. She was about to say, I will speak to him, but it occurred to her to wonder what Dr. Miller would think of such a proceeding. He had been their pastor but a few months. She did not feel on sufficiently familiar terms with him to take such work upon herself. Truth to tell, Miss Mason was not accustomed to any work. But the sentence must be finished. A happy thought suggested itself, and she seized upon it. I will speak to Dr. Everett, if you wish, and he will attend to it. Oh, thank you, the girl answered, gratitude in her voice. Father will be so much obliged to you. He said he did not know where to go, nor what to do. And it is all so dreadful. There is no one to think for us. Miss Mason, will you not mind my not calling mother? She is so broken down she feels as though she could not see anybody. Oh, no, indeed, Miss Mason would not mind at all. Or rather, it was a great relief to her. It startled her to think what she could possibly say to the mother of that beautiful dead child. And yet, surely, the poor mother ought to have some comforter. This thought recalled Dr. Everett again, and made her resolve that he should know the circumstances at once. He impressed her as a man who might know what to say, and how to say it. To this end, mindful of Dr. Everett's ability to ask questions, she bethought herself to ask about the other plans for the funeral, and whether there was anything else that should be attended to. Altogether, when she went out from that house, it was with the sound of Delia's earnest thank you in her heart, and a new, strange feeling that she certainly, in making that call, had done a little good. It was not until she stood on the steps, ready to depart, that she remembered her original errand, and asked and obtained the name of the girl who sometimes came to Sunday school with the Curtis girl. She made ready for Dr. Everett's call that evening with much less nervousness than in the morning she had imagined possible. Indeed, she was rather anxious to see him, and make arrangements for that poor Curtis girl in her sorrow. I am glad that I discovered her name without asking for it, she told herself complacently, as she wrote Delia Curtis in her delicate Italian hand. Dr. Everett was as interested as possible in all her details. He questioned and cross-questioned, and led her to realize that there were, after all, 
many details into which she had not inquired. His little red book was produced, and he wanted to know which Mr. Curtis it was, and how long he had lived in the city, and whether the family had ever attended church anywhere, and a dozen other things of which Miss Mason knew nothing. Of course you notified Dr. Miller? This was the last embarrassing question. Dr. Miller, you will remember, was Miss Mason's pastor. Why, no, she explained. She had not had time. She had but just reached home, and Dr. Miller, he would remember, lived in another direction. Ah, yes, but I mean that you notified him when this new name was added to your list. I understood you to say that she has been with you but a short time? No, said Miss Mason, with flushing cheeks but honest voice. I never thought of such a thing. Be sure she resolved that she would never again have to make so foolish an answer to a similar question. Immediately this new superintendent plunged her into the mazes of more work. By a question again, the sort of question which involves an affirmative answer, as a matter of course. About this funeral, you will attend, of course, and your class, they will attend as a class, I presume? Such an idea had not once entered into Miss Mason's mind. Did Dr. Everett think that was necessary? Why, as to that, he thought it eminently the proper thing to do. Sympathy under such circumstances was the least that could be expected from classmates. Possibly the father and mother might be won by little thoughtfulnesses at this time. At least it was worth trying for. Would she attend to it then? Very well, that would give him opportunity to call on Dr. Miller in the morning. When he finally, with his list of names in hand, and several items of importance in the red book, and several plans suggested for work that were new to her, bowed himself out, he left Miss Mason looking after him with a dazed air, wondering meantime if she were the same person who had remarked that morning that she was bored almost to death, and she did wish she had something to do. Also, I admit that she wondered why they had never had a superintendent in their Sabbath school before. As for Dr. Everett, delayed by professional duties, he did not get around to the parsonage for a few minutes, as he had planned. Instead, he sent thither a note, brief and to the point. My dear pastor, Miss Mason informs me that a baby brother of one of her girls has just died. The name is Curtis. They live on Barclay Street, near Clay Alley. Father and mother, not churchgoers. Miss Mason thinks your services would be gratefully received. She called this afternoon and prepared the way. Her class will attend the funeral. She has the matter in charge. Will you see this afternoon as to details? Yours in haste, Everett. Two remarks the new pastor made in reply to this note, his face lighting up the while. Thank God for such a man as Dr. Everett at the head of our Sabbath school. Then, after a pause, Miss Mason called, eh? I have evidently done that girl injustice. I didn't think she was that sort of a teacher. Good, I take courage. End of chapter 3 Recording by Tricia G.